This episode of Art of the Score is proudly supported by the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. Head over to www.mso.com.au forward slash movies for more information on their upcoming season of live movie score presentations. Welcome to Art of the Score, the podcast that explores, demystifies and celebrates some of the greatest soundtracks of all time from the world of film, TV and video games. I'm Andrew Pogson and in each episode we'll be joined by Daniel Golding and Nicholas Buck as we check out a soundtrack we love, break down its main themes, explore what makes the score tick and hopefully impart our love of the world of soundtracks. In our first episode, we explore one of the greatest film scores of all time, John Williams' classic 1981 score to Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. In part one, we'll be checking out all of the main themes from Raiders, we'll discuss John Williams' compositional style, and look at some of the other cues from the other movies that potentially influenced Raiders, or perhaps were influenced by Williams himself. And joining me, as always, on our debut episode is writer, lecturer, and totally legit video games composer, Dan Golding. How are you doing, Dan? Great to be here. It's fantastic. I know. I, I, I feel like I needed to um, get the, uh, the video game thing out there straight away because you're, you're yep. a very humble man <laughs> and um, you don't go around advertising the fact that you are um, a, a published video game composer. Yes, it's, it's, it's an interest. It's something that I really enjoy doing and hope to do more of in the future. It's uh, not my bread and butter, but it's, it's a nice hobby. And let, let's get the plug in there. What's the game? It's called Push Me, Pull You. It's, it's, such a, a, it's a good score. Maybe yeah, we'll do well, it as part well, of this. Oh, well. That would be, that'd be <laughs> interesting. Shortest um, episode ever. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the third in our trio is uh, composer, arranger, orchestrator and uh, amazing conductor of all of the uh, best orchestras in the world. It's uh, Nicholas Buck. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing very well, guys. How are you all going? Um, yeah, I think we're great. We're, we're feeling good. We're here for episode one. We thought we'd <laughs> uh, you know, try and test out uh, just how this sort of whole thing will go. We three of us love uh, movie scores, TV scores, and uh, and we love Raiders of the Lost Ark. We do love Raiders yeah. of the Lost first, Ark. First and foremost, let's, mm. let's not beat around the bush. <laughs> that is true. And so I guess we'll just get straight into it uh, and see if we can maybe get a little bit of background as to you know where Raiders of the Lost Ark sits, both in sort of a movie and Hollywood context, and also where this sits in John Williams' uh, you know, career. Mm. Dan, what can you tell us? Well, it's a really interesting film because it's one of those films that came along in the late 1970s and very early 1980s that basically changed Hollywood uh, into the machine that we know it today. Hollywood had always been incredibly you know, uh, you know, popular around the world and a huge industry, but in the 1960s in particular, it faced this really big crisis um, where you know there were a whole bunch of financial things, the movies weren't making money anymore. Uh, Cleopatra, for example, the the, the, the you know fantastic uh, epic blockbuster uh, was uh, you know one of the most financially uh, successful films of uh, that year uh, in the very early '60s, and still almost bankrupted the company that produced it. <laughs> um, basically, they didn't know how to make money at all. Um, and they'd gone through a bunch of other films uh, as well that had sort of appealed to the youth at the time, things like Bonnie and Clyde, things like Easy Rider in particular. 
um, that suddenly seemed to appeal to a youth audience. Um, but, you know, studios didn't really know how to get at that youth audience. Um, and especially these were studios that were now owned by companies. Warner Brothers that had Bonnie and Clyde was owned by a, uh, a, uh, a car parking and cleaning company. <laughs> so they basically didn't know how to make movies. Yeah, right. They certainly didn't know how to make money from movies. <laughs> and then in the 1970s, this generation of new directors turned up. So we've got people like Francis Ford Coppola, who did The Godfather and Apocalypse Now. You've got Martin Scorsese, who did Taxi Driver uh, at that point in time, uh, Goodfellas later and those sorts of films. And you've got Steven Spielberg and you've got George Lucas. Now, George Lucas was a household name already from Star Wars in 1977. And Steven Spielberg was a household name from Jaws in 1975. And both of those films had basically revolutionized Hollywood, had introduced this idea of the blockbuster, which is called such because... Do, do either of you know why no, it's called I a don't. blockbuster? I'm, I'm on the edge of my <laughs> seat. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, because it literally busted blocks, uh, as in uh, people queued to see these films Across ah, multiple that blocks. Makes, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Good. Um, so these these films, you know, uh, they, you know, were the, the the summer release up until that point. The big films would be released sort of in December uh, later in the year, which strangely enough we seem to be getting back to with the new Star Wars films. But anyway, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, so there's this new era of really popular filmmaking that comes along, which. For George Lucas and Steven Spielberg in particular, in particular with Raiders of the Lost Ark, harks back to this older sort of serial matinee, B-movie style of filmmaking where it's sort of like, you know, it's the films that they grew up watching. It's the stuff that appealed to the inner child and sort of got away from especially what George Lucas thought of was kind of the depressing films of, of that era, you know, like the Bonnie and Clyde's, the graduate, you know, those sorts of things that were, you know, meaning issue filled films. Yeah, right. Um, he, he wanted to provide fairy tales and that's what he did with star Wars. And he and Spielberg got together on the beach after star Wars was released and Spielberg sort of mentioned, ah, oh, you know, I've been wanting to do a bond film, but I, you know, uh, doesn't quite work out. Um, <laughs> And so they come up with this idea, or, you know, Lucas has had this idea of um, Indiana Smith <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a long time. Uh, yep. And uh, yeah, because his dog, uh, or his wife's dog, Marshall, was named Indiana. He yeah, thought right. it would make a great name. Uh, and, uh, and of course, that, that joke gets inserted into it does. Um, yeah. uh, Last Crusade. Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, and so they uh, sort of go, oh, maybe we can. Um, Maybe we can make this work. And it's sort of, you know, this era is often called the high concept uh, era of filmmaking as well, um, where you get this this new kind of amazing spectacle-filled film. And a lot of people think high concept means... Like high art or something. E exactly, yeah. And it means... Classy. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, it can be, but it means the exact opposite, that high is like the tip of a needle. And that idea is so... Um, Singular? Im yeah, singular and Im immediately understandable that it filters out through everything else. So people often talk about this as being like the hook, the look and the book. And the hook is that concept of like pulling me in, you know, where you can describe the film's appeal maybe in a sentence or maybe in the film's title. Like, um, you know, Iron Man, Robocop, uh, the Lego movie, right? They all yep. tell you what they're about in the title. Um, to the book, which they're often based on a pre 
pre-sold successful property. Um, maybe it's a comic book today. In Indiana Jones, obviously, it's more based on the the, the, the pre-existing history of B-movies rather than any particular property. Was the original name Raiders of the Lost Ark without Indiana Jones in it, though? I've seen That's some right. old posters without yeah. Indiana written anywhere. Yeah, that was that was later added. Yeah, right. Such as um, Episode Four was added to Star Wars. As yeah, well. of course. Yep. Uh, and um, the look, of course. So the the final thing is that these blockbusters were often based around you know visual spectacle. Raiders of the Lost Ark, in particular, is a really beautiful film. I think um, I think you can isolate almost any shot, and there's something really interesting going on in it. There's a lot of you know really beautiful use of shadows that sort of hark back to the sort of the noir German expressionist um, style. Just lighting in general, though. Yeah. I mean, I you know I'm not a not a a filmmaker or and and have any experience in that world, but you know the lighting is just gorgeous on it there's there's so many moments where you know the like you said either with shadow or with actual sort of light you know it's just so beautiful throughout the whole thing so and and watching it again uh, with the with the MSO recently up on the that big screen it's sort of really stunning you I mean you don't see movies mm. quite shot like this i don't know if it's because it's shot on film or or you know what that style is, uh, but yeah, it's such a lovely film. No, I mean you, you see very few films with color in it. I mean that's mm. a separate gripe of mine at the moment. But yeah, I mean I, it it it's really visually emblematic of a certain era of filmmaking. And you know there's a lot of really active shots. There's the what people call the Spielberg look, which is it focuses on. Um, what the character is seeing before showing you it. And the classic example of that in Raiders is uh, in the, 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 the sequence, which is the basket game, or at least that's what it's called in the soundtrack, mm. where Indiana Jones runs down the corridor and sees all those hundreds of baskets and he doesn't know which one Marion is in. But before we see what he's looking at, the camera dollies it'd be a up. a great close-up on yeah, his face. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it, the reveal. Exactly. And that, to me, perfectly embodies Spielberg, the appeal of Spielberg in that it's about not just the spectacle, but the way that he ties what the characters are feeling, that sort of awe of what they're seeing with what we as the audience are experiencing in his films. Yeah, right. Um, and so I guess, you know, for a film like this... He needed a composer like Williams, I think. Who's and all about. Why, why was that? Was that because, um, you know, John Williams, I guess, has a, come from an older style? Mm. Um, and, I mean, what were the other big composers at, at that same time? I mean, well, Williams well, was I always mean, already big because of all of, you know, E.T. and Jaws. And, yeah, and, and Williams used to, play, um, used to play piano for Jerry Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. Um, or was it the other way around? I think, I think that was, <laughs> it was that way. <laughs> um, you know, Bernard Herrmann was, was huge. Um, you know, had been doing a lot of stuff with, um, of course, Hitchcock. Mm. Um, you know, when you think of composer-director relationships, um, before Hitchcock and Herrmann, there's not... There's not many that you can really put a finger on, you know. Um, Perhaps the only other one from the 60s would be uh, Morricone and um, Sergio, uh, Sergio Leone. Leone. Yep. Yeah. yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think Williams is really interesting in, in this point in time as well because he had done the kind of scores that were a bit more in vogue at the time, like uh, Images, the Robert Altman film he'd done, um, which was much more sort of modernist and minimalist in, in the way that it works. Um, I was actually reading the other day that Jaws, uh, no, sorry, Star Wars was the first film that Williams had done with a full orchestra. 
uh, that Jaws, oh, right. Jaws okay. uses most of an orchestra, but Star Wars uses the full kit and caboodle. Yeah, sure. um, and so he really, you know, um, he came from this jazz background, but he came from this romantic orchestral background and managed to sort of include that into not just film music, but his own film music as well. He'd done mainly disaster films, The Towering Inferno, The Poseidon Adventure before this as well. So he'd done this kind of prelude to the blockbuster, but not quite. And and wasn't this the time also that that studios were really starting to decide that maybe moving away from this older orchestral, uh, you know, soundscape um, was something that, you know, they were really really looking at moving on from, and so, you know, choosing Williams for a lot of these projects initially was actually quite risky or quite you know the studios were frowning upon it a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, the idea of including a written score at all was under threat. So, I mean, the films that I mentioned before that were seen to tap into the youth audience at the time, like Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate, neither of them has an original soundtrack. Bonnie and Clyde makes use of a lot of sort of ironic banjo tunes to, that kind of sca- counterscore the, the violence in the film. The Graduate, of course, has the Simon and Garfunkel mm. um, sort of pop yeah, the, soundtrack. The, the, the song score was, was kind of quite popular, you know, and just Absolutely. using songs um, to, yeah, to, to tell the story and whether, whether that was a commercial reason to sell the soundtrack, to sell the bands at the time, uh, who, who knows, but I'm sure people would, I'm not sure that soundtracks would have been, um, and by soundtracks I mean sort of uh, film scores um, written by a composer would have been as popular back then as they were or as they are today. Mm. And so definitely with Williams coming through with Jaws, with Star Wars, with Close Encounters and Raiders of the Lost Ark, it just changes how people thought of what, what was the ideal of, of film music. So, so let's, let's, let's move on and talk about how John Williams actually you know, composes in general. Uh, I mean, he has a, a particular style. I mean, lots of his movies, uh, I guess, change, um, but there is a, a John Williams DNA uh, through it, throughout all of it, and and we're going to sort of try and attempt to this, you know, unravel some of that today. But uh, Nick, uh, what can you tell me about the the uh, you know John Williams uh, overall overarching style that he uses to tell a story? Well, look, in I mean, you know, we, we've got to talk about Raiders specifically, and um, one thing that becomes apparent and really began with Star Wars is Williams' use of light motif. So light motif is this concept. Um, which people say began with Wagner in his operas. Um, I'm sure there's other examples, but he was one who really pioneered it in his ring cycle um, purely because of the huge amount of characters to keep track of. Um, And it's this concept of basically assigning a piece of music to a character. Um, And this might extend to, you know, a location uh, or a particular relationship. Um, And you think of... uh, you know, films like Star Wars, uh, they're not just films, they are, they are universes and there's so many characters and multitudes of, of, cam- uh, of characters and relationships to keep track of that using a simple uh, melodic phrase um, or even just a simple motif every time that character appears um, is a really good way of sonically um, recognising them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's also used in such a, a storytelling way as well. Uh, Williams will will use uh, you know the theme of Indiana or Marion to not just sort of say oh here's Indiana on the screen so we're going to we're going to play his theme even though that does happen um, an awful lot but it's always um, given in context so um, if yeah, Indiana he can is up. yeah exactly so he can use that that theme 
uh, to you know sort of tell um, how Indiana is feeling or, or perhaps what we should be feeling as an audience or um, maybe even a, a use of uh, foreboding as something that might be coming up in the future uh, and it's also why a lot of uh, you know film score nerds uh, will um, you know scour a soundtrack um, if you're in episode well we've got episode seven recently for for Star Wars so you've got all these people who are scouring the soundtrack to try and work out well who is Luke uh, or who's Ray related to and and all of yes. you know sometimes these based little signposts based on the music, yeah, based on the music mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. um, there is this sort of uh, you know musical archaeology that we can mm. uh, we can use to try and work out what's actually going on yeah. and look at you know the the fact that we tie it back to Wagner um, also. You know, there's this great throughput of, of I guess, style where you look back to the early, early golden age of Hollywood in the 1930s. Um, and Dan, you were saying a lot of this film Raiders uh, and this time period throws back to that kind of mm-hmm. period. Um, you look at the composers of that period. Um, yeah, they're all the, the Viennese school um, guys like Max Steiner, Eric Wolfgang Korngold, who, you know, were well-versed in classical opera and music um, in Europe and really brought... I mean, they were the first Hollywood film composers Mm. um, and the first ones that really had a name and became famous and they brought the style with them. Mm. So Williams is really just the next generation on from from these guys and and really bringing that that style into the current current mood, which was the the 70s and the 80s then. (laughs) Great. Um, How's about we we just get straight into that, that main theme? And this is the, the one that everyone will know. Um, it's such an iconic theme. Uh, officially, it's called the Raiders March, but we can refer to it as Indiana's theme. Uh, but yeah, here it is. The uh, Raiders March. I love that theme so much. <laughs> it's just so happy, and yeah. it's sort of heroic, and uh, but not too heroic. Uh, and you know, it's pretty. I, it's pretty positive. It is really <laughs> positive. I don't yeah. think there's a minor chord in there at all. And um, look, you know, we, we we can't talk about this scene without, of course, discussing its its origins. Mm. And um, there's a, a, a famous story of, of John Williams uh, presenting, I guess, this theme um, or what he had worked out so far to Spielberg. And he actually um, uh, is, is a fellow, and I've heard him talk about this on record, as saying that sometimes the simplest of ideas uh, take the most work to arrive at that, at that simple idea. And he went through uh, heaps of permutations you know, to get the right mood for this thing. 
Um, I've heard him talking about going through about three or four hundred combinations of notes for his little motif in Close Encounters. Mm. You know. Uh. Oh, right. Apparently sure. he went yep. through over, over you know, several hundred to get the right thing. <laughs> um, but when he met with Spielberg, he basically said, look, Steve, I've got, um, I've got these two, two themes and I can't decide between them. Uh, can you help me out? So Stephen's like, all right, pl- play them to me, John. And he, and he played this. And Spielberg goes, oh, that's, that's great. Love it. Uh, well, what else you got? He's like, oh, here we go. Help me pick one. Um, and Spielberg, in his uh, creative genius, said, well, why can't you use both? Um, and, of course, that's, that's what Williams did. Um, the first bit I played you know, became the bridge. And, uh, and the second bit is, of course, the famous you know, um, Indiana Jones theme. Yeah. Um, and you know, they both have their place throughout the film. And it's really interesting to discuss and analyze throughout the course of Raiders how the theme, you know, uh, first of all, is introduced and then gets developed and, and how, you know, like you were talking before, Andrew, about leitmotiv, how it really gets used throughout the film in all its guises, mm. um, you know, to signify not only is Indiana Jones the focus of something, but how he's feeling. Mm. You know? And you'll often get points where the, the theme is really uh, full of angst. It's like it's under oppression, you know, and it's probably Indiana Jones stuck under a tank. <laughs> you know, we still know he's the focus, but the theme is being crushed by the rest of the orchestra and, and that completely mimics um, what's happening to Indiana Jones. So, um, you know, really great examples of, of how a theme can be bent and, and transformed to represent, you know, different different moods. Mm. And how, do, how do you think it represents the character as well? Because it's, I mean, it's so positive. I mean, if you look at the the way it's structured, that the main theme, the the, the second part that you played, um, is uh, all of the intervals move upwards in all of the phrases. Yeah, they yeah. do. So Everything's ascending. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all like it's trying. It's like you know, I'm I'm never gonna give up. That's exactly what the music is saying mm. and yet kind of you can uh, um, present that to the actual film itself and while Indiana Jones the character is very heroic uh, and the film I think unambiguously treats him as a hero Harrison Ford's performance is a bit wry and a little bit knowing and a little bit you know um, maybe not self-referential is the right word but you know he's able to take the piss out of himself yeah and it often looks like he doesn't quite care. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's that, there's that line uh, which um, uh, uh, the writer of the film, the the, the absolutely fantastic Lawrence Kasdan, um, says is his favourite from all of the films he's written. I mean, he's written, you know, um, many make great, great films, including Empire Strikes Back as well. Um, says it's his favourite line that he's written, which is, um, I don't know, I'm making this up as I go along when Indiana Jones is asked about his plan. <laughs> and, you know, it's that sort of... I mean, that's what makes the character tick. And yet it's so beautifully um, counterpointed by this music, which I, I don't think the music is making it up as it goes along. Like it's, it's saying... No. And, yeah. and look, I guess the music also has to do more than just represent that character. It has to represent, I guess, the film and what they're trying to... I mean, in some ways it's a trip down memory lane, mm. you know, referencing those early Saturday matinee, mir- um, Saturday matinee serials mm. um, that... You know, the, the, the music's job as well is to carry us and kind of transport us back to the 1930s at, mm. at, at the same time. 
Um, and look, you know, you sort of wonder, would that theme work with an actor that wasn't Harrison Ford and mm. had a different performance? Like, I don't know. Maybe that kind of slight clash or he's, you know, he's a sort of, the music makes him into the hero. And perhaps if, if there was a really overtly heroic character such as, you know, Errol Flynn, mm-hmm. um, maybe that would be kind of too obvious and, and, and too much heroism in your face. Well, I mean, that, that's what I actually I think is so likable about Indiana Jones compared to other superhero or not even, you know, hero films is that he is more of an everyman. He does yep. some amazing things, um, there's no doubt. And there's things that you, you couldn't really imagine doing yourself. But, you know, he is able, you know, to really make you feel like as if he, at the end of the day, he's just an archaeologist who, mm. you know, wants to explore, wants to discover things, wants to, you know, uh, do all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, he does these sort of amazing things. And I think that's actually in the theme there. I mean, if we even look at how John Williams uh, has written some of his other actual superhero fil- um, uh, themes, like uh, Superman, um, he uses smaller intervals in this particular mm. one. Um, so I'm going I'm to get Nick to play. It's, such, yeah. it's so great to have Nick here on <laughs> piano. Um, and I didn't tell him we were going to do this. but um, So if you can play me the, the, just the beginning of the Indiana theme. So those last two notes are, um, is a perfect fourth. Yeah. And so that's uh, four notes away from, from uh, the starting note. And when you go to the uh, Superman theme, um, we now have perfect fifths, so we're further away. So, yeah, and it's it's a fifth and an octave. And uh, well, actually, well, no, it's actually it's a fourth and an octave. A fourth and an octave. It's a fourth and a fifth. A fourth. Oh right, sure. But it just leaps for the you know it leaps for the uni- you know the yeah, galaxy. It, it's going the yeah, yeah. Uh, But the, the the main fanfare, the ba ba da da da, that's a fifth. Yeah. Yeah. And you know we we. We might look at it in the future, but uh, you know, with the with the Indiana theme, it's it's heroic, it's major, it's a fourth, but it never really leaps for the the heavens, and I think that really helps to sort of ground it in um, more reality. Yeah, than and you could say it actually, it kind of it, it tiptoes up. I mean, look at the first step; is they're all next to each other. It's a bit of a leap. Yeah. Then we go stepwise, right? Yep. A little, little, another little step. Oh, up we go, and yep. then more steps. You know, it's sort of like Indiana Jones, you know, in that opening scene, sort of tiptoeing his way across the booby traps to get the idol, you know. Um, and then there's a bit of hope. Um, yeah. Ooh, a bit of a key change. Exactly. You know? And then we fall back down. And, I mean, really, when you move into... So you've got, like I said, that quite... Um, uh, the most heroic part of those two melodies within the, the overall um, Raiders March... And that B theme, that bridge theme, is in my mind representative of um, a bit more of a struggle. You know, in the yeah. first one, it's, it's sort of, of like he's winning, you know, yeah. and he's he's positive and he's feeling great. And this this you know this B theme is sort it's of more, a sort more of in, more in progress, digging your boots in. To, yeah, to yeah, exactly. Done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it more more usually is played with um, that rhythm behind it of almost that that singular chord, yeah. just sort of thumping away, um, providing that beat um, mm. to it as well. So the harmony's not moving quite as much, yeah. um, and it's sort of more indicating a you know persistent battle rather than heroic success. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's just such a, a fun thing. I can't I can't actually imagine this movie with just that B theme only. I agree. Like, <laughs> it would be a, mm. not as successful. 
to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a and it's so simple, and I think that's really the the genius of of John Williams is the fact that he's able to, like you said, boil down the you know the essence of a theme. There's lots of other composers who sort of get really complicated with the theme, and and certainly with with modern day modern film composers, either you have um, Hans Zimmer-esque, you know, two notes, which I guess really boils it down. But you have the opposite, where you have these sort of melodies that sort of just ramble along for a long time, and um, mm-hmm. you know, this this melody is just to the point, you know, yeah. and that's really what Indiana is. He's to the point, yeah. so <laughs> it matches beautifully. Mm-hmm. Shall we move on? Now let's discuss uh, the opposite end of the spectrum, <laughs> um, <laughs> which of course is Marion's theme. Mm. Um, Marion, of course, is uh, Indy's uh, feisty. Well, can we? We can't really say girlfriend, can we? Well, let's say love interest. Mm. Ex, ex, ex girlfriend. Ex, ex flame. There's a lot yeah. of history that we kind of is alluded to in the film. We never quite know about, but uh, yeah, look, she's she's the love interest, and um, you know, John Williams gives her a suitably lovable theme, um, and. Uh, look, there is lots to discuss here in Marion's theme. Um, but look, let's start with an examination of the actual theme itself. I'll just play a little bit of Marion's theme uh, to start us off. And I want us to pay particular attention to the very first interval. isn't it <laughs> I mean this yeah this is John Williams in in super lush you know romantic mode um, and I find this theme interesting because it, it like what we discussed with Indy's theme it's it doesn't overtly mirror how that character is you know mm. Marion's not a I mean you hear that and you just oh you think glorious you think Pacini you think yeah, oh beautiful yeah, yeah. romance like she, she's uh, she the first time we meet her, she's getting uh, completely sloshed playing a drinking game, 
against the whole <laughs> of people in Nepal. She's biffing guys. Yeah. You know, she's yep. the first time she meets Indian. I think she punches him in the face. Yeah. Yep. Um, and she's really feisty and spiky and um, yeah, and sort of the opposite. Yeah, she's able to get what she wants by herself without the help of others, which is not really like that theme would be more at home with like I don't know, like Olivia de Havilland's character and the the Robin Hood, the Errol Flynn version. You know, mm. this sort of yeah. beautiful. Uh, queen-like, you know, unattainable princess in a castle type thing, right? Absolutely. And I mean, it's an amazing piece of music, but it doesn't quite reflect the character. I, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, and if I can uh, take take my my theory here, um, yeah, yeah. So th- this is a this is a theory that that uh, Dan decided to. Uh, you know, present to me. We were having lunch uh, end of last year at mm. some point, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking about this score. And uh, yeah, you came up with this amazing theory as to why this um, theme actually works. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because, and this was as a result of seeing the uh, MSO perform Raiders live. Um, that you know, I think it it really helps you um, reevaluate how the music works with the film because. With that emphasis on seeing how the the music interlocks with the scenes, I mean, it really reminded me that actually a lot of the times when we hear this music, it's not about presenting Marion to us. It's about how Indiana <clears throat> Indiana himself is thinking of Marion. So I think it's maybe more accurate to think of it as the thinking of Marion theme, and that Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> controversial. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it makes it makes a little more sense. I mean, I look. I you know, I I think maybe Indiana's not blind to who Marion is, but it it you know it 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 makes more sense musically if you think of it as his romantic love for her, and the reason why I think that really helps us reevaluate how the film works is because there's that joke that that people make and have made about Raiders of the Lost Ark for a long time that actually if Indiana Jonas didn't exist the f- the events of the film would still play out the way that they do. <laughs> yeah, which is um sort of shocking when you first hear about it. Uh but yeah, it's it's sort of true. Uh mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if if you believe that that a story needs to have a um you know, a reason mm-hmm. um and a you know, a, a a story for the characters to sort of move from to A to B to C. Uh, in this particular instance, there is no need for Indiana Jones to move from A to B to C. The yeah. the um, outcome of the film would be exactly the same. Still have uh, Nazis fried Still in have microwaves. Nazis, yeah. You'd still have... Uh, Belloc would still get the uh, idol right at the start. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would still... Uh, well, they already, you know, discovered the uh, medallion and mm-hmm. uh, Indiana wasn't even able to actually stop them from getting that, so they would have got it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, initially, they would have found the map room correctly because they would have had the actual idol. Mm-hmm. Everything would have happened the same, and all cul- culminating with uh, them you know, performing the, the ritual, just not Indiana wouldn't have been there, mm-hmm. and they would have opened it, they would have all died, and yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. that, I guess that would be that. And that would be it. That yeah. would be the end of the, the movie. So he actually changes nothing in it, except mm. for... When we well, think about your theory. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that theory makes sense. If you think that the film is about the Ark. Yes. In, now, I well, think... I mean, which in, I definitely do. Originally, yeah. Indiana Jones is nowhere in the title. Well, Raiders true. Raiders the Lost true. Ark. True. You know, yeah, so. well, yeah. Oh, wait, look. Is the war the point of Star Wars? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I just saw stars. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, I mean, if you think of it that way instead, that actually the Ark itself is a huge uh, MacGuffin, to use the Hitchcock term, which means a sort of a pointless plot device that just exists to set the plot in motion. And in fact, the movie is about 
Marion and Indy as characters developing and, you know, this relationship being rekindled. And, you know, the film ends with Marion sort of saying, hey, Indy, you know, after the, the, the arc's been warehoused, yep. sort of saying, hey, like, you're still alive, you still got me, let's go have fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, this music, this theme, if you think of it as the thinking of Marion theme, illustrates that maybe the movie's not about the arc. The arc is a spectacular plot device and we'll follow that through to the conclusion, but actually it's about what happens to the characters along the way. Yeah, and I, and I actually think that, that when you framed that, you know, where that plot goes and and how how this is not Marion's theme and it's it's mm. Indiana it, it's Indiana's theme mm. when he thinks about Marion yeah so Indiana <laughs> it's, it's gets his C theme yeah it's his C theme exactly <laughs> um, he gets two themes and that actually now makes sense with the reason why it's so sort of uh, you know romantic mm. and over overly Hollywood old style because you know like you pointed out Nick she's not like that in reality and yeah. she doesn't even vaguely seem like she would have been like that really at any point yeah and uh, perhaps you know she talks about herself being a younger girl and that um, Indiana sort of played with her emotions so perhaps she was more innocent and there was a more innocent love when they were younger but certainly not anymore and uh, but perhaps Indiana also has really nostalgic uh, memories of his time with Marion and therefore this is the the theme of nostalgia yeah and look it's it's also it's um you know it's very in John Williams uh, DNA shall I say to um, write a theme like this Um, and we look at I guess previous music um, and even music since Raiders that he has written. Um, I know Andrew, we've talked in the past about the opening chord um, or the opening leap, which is a major sixth. Um, yes. You know, and contrasting it with, say, a fourth, you know, which we hear like, uh, let's say, the fourth theme. You know, or a fifth. They're more, I guess, noble or heroic intervals, whereas a major sixth, or it could be a minor sixth, um, even though it's higher, sort of have has a softness, yeah, you know, sort of a, a, a gorgeous breath to it. I, I'm, I, I like going through Williams themes and saying, well, actually, I've heard this before, um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to play a little trick on us. I'm going to play a few John Williams um, emotional bits, and they're all from different films, and I want to see if you can pick the difference. Here we go. So how do we go, boys? What was the first one? We had Princess Leia's theme. Yes. Then we had Han Solo and the Princess. Very good. Then we had Across the Stars. Very good. And then we had Marion's theme. Who wrote all those pieces? John Williams. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, I'm, I'm not here to point out, oh, he's ripping himself off. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's obviously, there's a language there. Um, and, look, I guess, maybe with the exception of Princess Leia's theme, who isn't really linked romantically um, in the first film, is she? 
it's, I mean, it's sort of it's played a She's little Luke's weirdly, love yeah, because it's yeah, sort look, of I like guess, yeah. is it, is it going to be Luke? Is it going to be Han? There's That's a bit true, of a love yeah. triangle. I guess. Look, she's the only real kind of female character or strong female mm. character in the first Star Wars. So, you know, look, there is certainly a language of romance here yep. in what John Williams is doing, and that that big yearning sixth, whether it's a major sixth or a minor sixth, um, you know, in the case of Across the Stars, has a certain romanticness to it, mm. um, which he he loves and he exploits, and whether that's um, I really searched high and low to find an example from the 1930s, whether it was Korn, Gold or Steiner or something similar, and sort of hoping that, oh, I can find the origins of where this is from. And I, I couldn't. Um, that's not to say it doesn't exist. Um, but, you know, these themes just playing the opening, like they're almost interchangeable. And what makes them, I guess, different, uh, how he then treats them. Um, a very common thing he does is he goes to the minor, f- minor chord of, of, of the of the fourth. So if we're in just say G minor or, sorry, or, or G major, he'll go to a C minor, you know, as the next next kind of chord. And you hear this in Princess Leia's theme. Okay, you hear it in Han Solo and the Princess. You hear it in Marion's theme. Okay, so there's there's a very similarity in not only in the intervals but in the the harmonic language that is underneath. Um, in Across the Stars, it's just a minor chord. Okay, so we're still going to that minor fourth. Um, you know, maybe this is John Williams just feeling really at home in in a certain style. Who knows? But it's it's certainly there, and I think it's it's really interesting. Um, and look, you know. I, I can go further and say that, look, I see, I see this reflected in even modern-day scores. It's like John Williams was hearkening back to a certain era and scores that have come since have also hearkened back to an earlier era. Um, I, I've spoken before of my love of this horrible, horrible film but amazing score called Cutthroat Island. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to play a bit of it now, but what I've done is I've actually recorded some piano over the top of of John Debney's glorious theme um, and I've actually played some Princess Leia theme and it kind of sounds like Princess Leia the piano concerto Um, (laughs) have a listen wow theme kind of changes here but um, the orchestra swells up and we have romantic Peter's Lair I guess, yeah, when we talk about this language of romance, it's, it's something about probably those that even more so than the interval of, 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 that, of that major six is actually, it's the harmony underneath. You know, it's like, 
it's 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 love there's beauty there's romantic tension and it, and it goes back and uh, look at composers like um, one of my favourite scores and what got me into film music was David Arnold's Stargate you know back in oh, 1994 yeah, right, yeah. and there's a cue in that where it's almost like there's no theme it's just the orchestra riffing on these two chords back and forth it's hilarious have a listen change wow wow how much <laughs> so you know i mean it's just like that's like um, I don't know what he's doing there. I mean, the guy's being dragged along by an animal or something, so it's mm. not exactly a romantic scene. But, you know, it's called Stargate. You know, that chord progression is super famous from Star Wars. Mm. So there's obviously some kind of, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a passing of the baton, harmonically at least. Mm. Um, you know, that, that John Williams is, is carried and he's using and, and yeah. And, and the other thing that I w- I'd love to point out about Marion's theme before we... Uh, move on is with the harmony uh, especially and I'll get you to play it is the third chord because it could go back it could a lesser composer could just return to the original chord but it doesn't but because it's beautiful it's going somewhere so have a listen to the third chord And it's that really third one that kind of rises up and mm. it actually was what makes it different to, say, Princess Leia's theme or Han and the Princess. So, so um, Nick, play us, play us the version where you actually return back to the original chord mm. okay. and, and you can hear, what, what you'll hear, hopefully, is that the, the theme stops and, I mean, it sort of becomes uh, stagnant, whereas uh, the version that John Williams um, ended up writing... Uh, actually keeps it moving forward, but like you said, by having it rise up. But anyway, let, let's hear the more stagnant version. Oh, it's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> and just one more time, i got to hear it again, just uh, get that out of my head, the previous one. So lovely. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's move on to uh, probably well the the next most important theme in the movie, and that would be the uh, the arc theme. The arc theme. Mm. I mean, look, what makes this so great? I mean, look, it's 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 in the title, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So yeah. it obviously needs a theme. And um, what makes this theme so delicious is that it's it's equal parts beauty and equal parts horror, mm. you know, and there's this duality between it feeling like um, a sort of religioso, um, you know, old, old, old world vibe um, versus the, the power and the terror that is sort of harbored within. Mm. Um, and John Williams is, is, again, fabulous at presenting it in, in its different ways. And sometimes we really feel that calm, beautiful, religioso context of it. And other times towards the end of the film, it just gets unleashed. You know, all, all the power of God is basically, you know, 
is unhinged and, 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 and is, is set upon us. Let's take a listen. Now, what I love there is this, um, you know, th- we've, got, we've got the choir in there. You know, whenever we think of grand opera and choirs in film scores, quite often there's something pretty serious going on. It's, mm. it's a, you know, there's always a religious aspect, um, whether it's, you know, something like Carmina Burana, you know, is like a paganism in, in, in something like that. But here it really, to me, signifies... Uh, the kind of angels, whether they're angels of terror mm. or angels of good, who knows? You know, that, that's what we wait to find out. Mm. Yeah, and and really, is the the notes through there that he's he's adding all of these different elements into the the one pot. So you have the the angelic voices, but they're not singing very angelic notes. No, and I think both of those together is really what's helping sort of you know sell that as a both beautiful and dangerous all at the same time. Oh well, there's a couple of things as well that really harmonically interest me about this as well, and that it, just the excerpt that you play there, if you listen to what the bass is doing, is that it's acting as a, a, a pedal note, pedal, yeah, yeah, for the for the first little bit. So it's like this is strong, you know, we're not we're not going anywhere. We're showing you something really powerful, and then it does these really quite large leaps around yeah. there and, and I think the actual chords that are used I mean not a single one is in a major is a major mm. chord they're all minor chords so you have this alright and that's pretty static and then it kind of it kind of changes and they're just sort of yeah they're, they're jumping around in quite a sort of unusual way mm. and it's very ominous <laughs> mm. you know I think just because of the fact that's unlike the Indiana Jones theme <laughs> it's really easy to pick up it's very stepwise and it's 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 calming mm. <laughs> you know th- these chords and the way they're moving around certainly are anything but mm. um, and it's in the orchestration as well like yeah. uh, actually do you want to just um, play that start again I just want to sort of talk about it very quickly a couple of little things that you hear in here so you've got these um, the violins swirling at the top, yeah, yeah. swirling at the top, sort of really giving that sort of you know sense of mystery and and um, you know danger as well, yeah. and you know really everyone else moving together. So you've got the um, um, you know the orchestra is moving all at the same time, and I think that gives a weight and a heaviness as well to the to the the piece. Absolutely, um, you know nothing is moving in counterpoint. Um, it, it, it's like a singular. Uh, you know, thought that mm. is is coming from that arc. Mm. Yeah, and can I can I ask? I mean, I don't have the score in front of me, so I may be wrong. But that first, if you just if you were to take the first melody, the da da da, is that second note a tritone? Um, it is. It, well, the note isn't, but the chord is. So the right. chord is G minor, and then the next chord is C sharp minor. So. Uh, you know, our home key of G versus C sharp are as far away you can get from each other. And yeah. that really sort of, from the get-go, just basically ungrounds it and makes it really unstable as a progression. Yeah. Well, it, it's also, if it's a tritone, it's the devil's court, it's right? It's the devil's interval, yes. Yeah. <laughs> banned uh, by the Pope himself. Banned so. by the Pope and, and unearthed in this film. Mm. Yeah. Now, of course, we can't talk about the Raiders theme without, well... 
I don't want to talk about it without also mentioning um, a similar theme in the third Indiana Jones film, Last Crusade, oh, that one. of either the, I guess you'd call it the grail theme. Um, or was it thinking of the grail? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, the film is really about the relationship of Indiana Jones and, and the his grail. Dad. <laughs> um, and uh, I'll play, look, I'll, here's what I'll do. I'll play the arc theme um, going into the grail theme and then back to the, the arc theme and then back to the grail theme. And I think we'll, we'll discuss some similarities. Have a listen. So this is the arc theme from Raiders. And then the Grail theme. Back to the arc theme. So I know, how do you guys find them different? Because I think there's there's many similarities, but there's, mm. there's, there is something different about them. I think, I mean, I love the the, the Last Crusade Knights theme there um, so theme. much, the Grail theme, yeah. I mean, if I had to choose a theme from the whole of Indiana Jones, I'd, I may pick that. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I mean, to me, it says something. There's a more there's more stability to the harmony um, in the way that it moves. That says to me, I always feel this is this is in the Grail one, the Grail, yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. I always feel when I watch those scenes and when I hear that music, it's almost like there's some sort of we're being told about a connection to what you might call like deep time. You yep. know, like it's it's a it's a connection to something that has existed for much longer than ourselves. We're yeah. hearing about something that is that is bigger than us. And I think the stability and the harmony maybe plays into that a little bit. That, Absolutely. That would be I mean, look, you know, the, the, the growl theme from the, the Last Crusade. It's very tonal. It's very mm. simple mm. religious cause. Um, you know, the baseline moves, moves stepwise in that passage. You know, contra- contrast this with... Both in G minor, but mm. the, the movement there is is very different, and I think it signifies something very different. Well, it, it feels like the um, the arc theme doesn't is is restless, mm. as in it, it never really lands somewhere and feels like that's home. Yep. And you know, it, it really sort of denotes the you know the the chaos and the chaotic nature of the arc. Whereas with the Grail, it's it's far more. Um, it knows what it is. Mm. You know, and it's and it's good, and it returns home, yeah. and you know, it, it sort of knows what it's doing. And and in my mind, the uh, 
really it represents the two types of God mm. from um, from Christianity. So we have the uh, the Old Testament God um, <laughs> yep. in the Ark, um, with uh, the Old Testament being God, He's a very angry man mm. in the old books. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you read them, Dan, but um, <laughs> he he doesn't like. I, I've been told of them, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> once or twice, once or twice, yeah. And uh, whereas in the New Testament, um, God's a God's you know a um, Benevolent, benevolent yeah. sort of righteous, uh, loving God, and yeah. and both of those can be heard in those themes, and and ultimately the, uh, the, you know, the Grail theme is is Jesus, mm. it's Jesus' theme, <laughs> and it well, it what, feels that way. Do do we have a bit of an amen at the end there with the with the Grail theme, the the cadence there? At Absolutely, the it's perfect cadence here. Right, five five one. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas the arc, it never, you know, it it doesn't finish. You could actually really stop halfway through those chords, and it would still serve the same sort of purpose as it does when it continues on. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, there's look. I mean, as far as themes go, they're the three biggies in Raiders. Um, you know, we can talk briefly. There is another one which I like to call the Nazi theme. Yep. Um, and let's have a quick look at that. I'll, 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 it really only appears later on the film during the desert chase and a little bit before that where um, we've got the big bald guy having the biff up with Indy around the plane. <laughs> so this is the Raiders Nazi theme. And I'll, you know, for the, for the sake of brevity, I think there's a lot of material here. Um, let me say it's, very, it's a very simple theme. It's very in-your-face, um, sort of trumpet-led brass fanfare. Um, and I hear very similar harmonic similarities to the imperial music from Star Wars. So we'll, we'll contrast them um, back to back. So this is the Nazi theme from Raiders. music from A New Hope. So it's it's very simple. It just basically has this. Right, minor third, minor third, devil's interval on the top. <laughs> you know, and the imperial music from Star Wars also has this sort of, you know, undulating minor third thing that starts it off. And you know, you could say, well, the Nazis, they're the baddies, they're dumb. Um, they're stupid, they're the bad guys. <laughs> we, we sort of don't need to honour them with any kind of 
theme that really is anything more substantial than just a sort of annoying minor third <laughs> triplety trump, trumpet figure. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel that this particular one, and, and maybe even with the Imperials as well, is that they're sort of, they're sneaky, sneaky bad guys. Uh, it's not a... They're not in your face. No, it's mm. not, it's not a, a, an all-powerful uh, bad guy, at least with the Nazis. It doesn't feel mm. that way in the theme, at least. Uh, and, you know, I guess with the Imperials in, in Episode 4, it, you know, they really are the all-powerful people, but there's a, there's a sneakiness about yeah. it. Mm. And I think that's, that's achieved just through those small intervals again. Yeah. You know, mm. the melody stays small, and therefore, you know, they're... Uh, you know the the feel of the Nazis is small. Mm. Um, it's nasty, but it's mm. you know <laughs> yeah, it's small. Mm. Yeah, 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 that's the word I was looking yeah. for. Thank you, Dan. And <laughs> I think as well, it it sort of goes to show like just how good a composer he is and how good an, you know user of the orchestra. Because I mean, I I can't think of any composer today really who would go, oh yeah key villains of the piece let's bring in some low woodwinds in a pretty small sort of theme with a bit of a snare drum like come on most composers today are going to be like here's your tubers and your trombones and we're going to blast some minor chords yeah. and you so, you so easily could do that yeah. in this mm. movie because they are sort of bombastic villains yeah. really yeah. and he doesn't he sort of juxtaposes once again with those, but he know. does he does save that for the third for film the, yeah. don't forget <laughs> I love that theme so much as well. I, yeah. yeah. So look, here, just to, to for sake of contrasting, here's the Nazi theme as uh, as bombastically executed by John Williams and the LSO in the third film, Last Crusade. Have a listen. You know, that's not Nazis hiding in the shadows anymore. No. They're, they're, mm. they're out there. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting, though, because as well in that film, I and mean, when we see the Nazis at a, at a, you know, their own ceremony. Yeah, the big book-burning rally and ab- stuff. Absolutely. And so what we're getting more there is, I think, that Wagnerian, almost military march style thing that, that's happening there. And I mean, the, the brass, despite being bombastic, is really beautifully uh, orchestrated. And um, it, I mean, it's, it's doing some interesting things, even though, I mean, and I think maybe that is much more of a knowing sort of comic book villainy. That yeah. we well, the, that. they sound the brass there sounds more controlled and organised, mm. probably like the Nazis are. You know, yep. whereas in, mm, in last in Raiders, you know, it's like a couple of trumpets have been let loose. You know, yep. um, they're they're not the organised big institution that they are. And maybe in terms of the story, it's you know, if you're, you're thinking of it as um, it's World War One, is that what uh, we're oh, no, post? Uh, it's, it's post one before two, nineteen thirties. No. So we're in between. Yeah, yeah in between Th- thirty-six. Uh, 36 so it, it feels like at the start that the Nazis are sort of only 36. getting going, and and the art guys, and the fact that they even have Belloc with them, they're they're fringe Nazis, and I, I don't mean that they're you know doing stuff that the you know that Hitler doesn't know about but it does feel like they're the sort of experimental guys who are going after experimental technologies Definitely. whereas you know with the with the grail it's Hitler is well and truly in power and he yeah. just needs the grail now to which totally exists mm. um, to be able to vanquish all of his foes so it's far more confident <laughs> and you know far more uh, bombastic and and organized so yeah mm. it just works so beautifully such great musical storytelling mm. I think through all of that mm. and we're closer to the machine as well in uh, last crusade we're actually in Germany for much of the film uh, whereas this we is meet Hitler I mean, yeah. he signs in these oh, books great, right. <laughs> anyway <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. I think that's um, 
you know. That's Indiana Jones in a nutshell, or Raiders in a nutshell, at least. Mm. That is true. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Art of the Score. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review for us on iTunes. We very much appreciate it. Dan and Nick, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, But I think we've had a bunch of unfinished business. There's a whole movie filled with extra music that we haven't touched on. So all of you out there in podcast land, please join us for part two, where we'll delve deeper into Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm Andrew Pogson. That's Dan Golding. It's been a pleasure. And uh, he's Nicholas Buck. See you later. And this was Art of the Score.